In the shadows of a seemingly ordinary life, an unsettling presence emerges, mimicking every move and casting doubt on reality. Mundane moments unravel in a sinister descent, leaving a trail of mystery and a chilling question. Is the true danger an external force or something more deeply rooted within? Welcome to Freaky Folklore, the podcast where we discover horrifying legends across the world and tell terrifying tales of monsters both ancient and modern. This week we're discussing the doppelganger, an entity that may appear to be your double, a twin born not of your mother, but from something more sinister. This show is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network. Find more terrifying tales at EerieCast.com, such as Destination Terror, you can listen to a new episode every week as I take you to horrifying destinations both real and mythical. Be sure to follow us on Spotify or your favorite podcasting service. You can leave an honest review on iTunes, too. The more we get, the more we grow, and hopefully the more monsters we can explore. You can now find Freaky Folklore videos on YouTube as well. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to carmencarrion at gmail.com. That is C-A-R-M-A-N-C-A-R-R-I-O-N at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram for information on future episodes. I would have thought it impossible to stab myself 32 times, but then I would have thought many other things were impossible. Until that day. That Monday started out as a normal day. When I say normal, I mean boring and disappointing. I sat at my desk, staring at the computer screen as the cursor blinked at me, mocking my ability, or lack of, to write anything whatsoever. After two successful books that made the bestsellers list, you would think that the ebb and flow of creativity would easily continue, but you'd be wrong. I told myself that I just needed inspiration, something to get the creative juices flowing. But how do I find that one special thing, that spark that ignites the flame? While still staring at that damned blinking cursor, I noticed the corner light in my office was causing a glare on the screen. It was an annoying distraction, but for a moment it was kind of hypnotic. As my focus shifted to the glowing light, I caught movement in the shadows cast by the lamp. As I stared, waiting to see if my eyes were playing tricks on me, I began to make out details. It was the outline of a person. Now I've been down this road before, late at night when I wake up to find someone looming ominously in the corner just to realize I'd left my jacket thrown over the treadmill, so I didn't get immediately scared. I waited for the figure to clearly become something inanimate, but then it moved closer, and quickly, as if it was going to pounce on my back. That's when I freaked out. I jumped so fast that I knocked my desk chair over and almost fell backward with it. My heart was about to burst through my chest by the time I realized that I was alone in my office. Just as I suspected, I had been imagining things. 
You would think that was enough for some inspiration, but nope. I exited the office, shut the door, and refused to go back in there for the rest of the day. I paused outside of my office door, my hand still on the doorknob, and put my other hand on my chest. Deep breaths, Lynette. Inhale. Exhale. I coached myself out loud. Maybe some fresh air was what I need. Everything I Google says that vitamin D is essential to health and happiness, and hopefully, creativity. So I grabbed my jacket from the treadmill and headed out the door. As I was leaving, I heard frantic barking from inside of the house. Jack, my overactive terrier, apparently wanted some fresh air too. He had crawled between the curtains in the living room window and was standing on his hind legs pawing at the glass, giving me those heart-wrenching sad eyes. I went back in the house and grabbed Jack's leash from its place hanging on the coat rack. He was so excited. I was afraid that he would pee on me and the carpet. But after a bit of a wrestling match, his leash was attached, and we were headed back out the door. Jack was a proper gentleman once he was on his leash, holding his head up high as if he was soaking in the sun's rays. The park was only two blocks from my house, and I was half expecting it to be crawling with kids. But to my surprise, besides the little old man feeding the ducks by the pond, we were the only ones there. My mind went down its usual path thinking of how sad it was that kids didn't play outside as much as they used to. This was my line of thought, as my feet hit the walking trail that headed around the pond. The path started by the parking area and led across a man-made embankment up into the woods at the far side of the pond. It didn't go deep into the woods, but kind of weaved in and out. Jack loved it up there because the squirrels were abundant, but it also meant he would forget his manners and I would have to practically drag him the rest of the way. We made it across the embankment fairly quick, as Jack was already excited about the squirrels that were bound to be ahead, his enthusiasm causing me to pick up my pace. As we stepped onto that part of the trail, where it curved, the trees cast a shadow over the path. Just as expected, Jack heard something and took off so quickly that he choked himself when the leash held him back. Humoring him as I always do, I let him lead me until he found the source of the noise. We didn't go far until he was trying to pull me off the trail and into the woods. This wasn't going to happen. I'm highly allergic to poison ivy and bugs. So I held him back and when he fought, I began scolding him. He was ducking his head sadly as I explained to him that he would have to keep his shenanigans limited to the trail. When I heard a loud rustling of leaves, Naturally, I looked to make sure an angry squirrel hadn't decided to fight back and come after us. But what I saw made my blood run cold. Standing about 30 feet away was a woman. She was staring back at us. But that wasn't what freaked me out. The most disturbing thing was, she looked exactly like me. Same jeans, same red and white converse same black jacket, and Smashing Pumpkins t-shirt. But that wasn't all. She had my face, blonde ponytail, and everything. Not one detail was spared. She was my doppelganger. I might have been intrigued if I hadn't been so terrified.
but the way she looked at me felt menacing. My skin went from cold to hot, and then began to crawl with goosebumps. Jack didn't like her either. He began to growl and snarl, like he was about to be in for the fight of his life. He had never bitten anyone before, but I was pretty sure if I let him loose, he would try to take a chunk out of her leg. He caught me by surprise when he tried to take off in a dead run, still on the leash, and I reached down to grab him before he could choke himself again. Once he was safely in my arms, I looked up, and the woman was gone. I can't think of one word that would sum up my emotions at that point. I was confused, disturbed, sick to my stomach, and I couldn't get out of that park fast enough. I was feeling so unsettled at this point, but I wasn't ready to go back home where this all seemed to start. My mind was racing as we left the park, not sure where to go. And then it struck me, I could go to Ella's place, she might be home. She had a two-year-old and worked from home, so she was home most days, and I could get to her house without having to go back home to get my car. Ella was my best friend and sister-in-law. When she had started dating my older brother 15 years ago, we hit it off immediately. She was always there for me when I needed to vent about work, men, or basically anything. Jack knew the way, and he got excited when we turned down Ella's street. He suddenly began pulling on the leash again, trying to get me to hurry. He loved playing with Ella's daughter, Anna. At two, she was surprisingly gentle with him. Ella's front door was open, no surprise there. She loved to listen to the birds and the sounds of the neighborhood while she worked. Almost as much as Anna loved to stand at the screen door and yell, Hi! at any passerby. I didn't bother knocking, I just swung the door open and popped my head in. Hello? It's your crazy best friend, the head case. Can I come in? I yelled, trying to sound playful, even though my stomach was still in knots. Lynette? I heard her as she came around the corner from the kitchen. What are you doing back already? I thought you had important business to take care of the way you left so fast earlier. What are you talking about? I asked, with a look of puzzlement on my face. I haven't been here in over a week. Very funny, Ella replied. You're terrible at telling lies, you know. You were just here not 20 minutes ago. Is this why you were acting so strange? So you could try to play a trick on me? Some kind of ruse for your next book? When the blood drained from my face and I staggered, Ella reached to steady me, the smile fading from her face. Sit down and tell me everything. A line I had heard from her countless times. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more light-hearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. 
or chat and play with or against other players too, in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Have you ever been mistaken for someone else? Have you ever had someone say that they know someone who looks just like you? Have you ever been accused of being seen somewhere, knowing good and well that you were never there? That has happened to me multiple times throughout my life. I've been told that I have a twin that lives a few towns over. I've often wondered what it would be like to meet this person. Do they really look like me? Or are there just strong similarities? I hope that I never find out. And if you have a twin, not from birth, roaming around out there somewhere, you better hope that you never meet them either. According to German folklore, seeing your double three times could mean death would soon follow. The word doppelganger is a loan word from the German noun doppelganger, literally meaning double walker. The singular and plural forms are the same in German, but English writers usually prefer the plural doppelgangers. German writers coined the word doppelganger. In German folklore, a doppelganger is a supernatural double or lookalike of a living person. The concept of a double or a lookalike with supernatural or eerie qualities appears in folklore and mythology across various cultures. Here are some examples. In Celtic folklore, a fetch is a supernatural double or apparition of a living person. Encountering one's fetch was considered an omen of impending death. In Norse mythology, the Vardagr is a spirit or ghostly double that precedes a person, performing actions in advance of the person's arrival. It's often perceived as a harbinger or an omen. In Turkish folklore, the Kahraman is a doppelganger-like creature that takes on the appearance of a person and imitates their actions. Encountering one was believed to bring bad luck. In Malaysian folklore, the Hantu Pinganti is a ghostly double that takes the form of a living person. It's believed to be an evil spirit that brings misfortune to the person it mimics. Various Slavic cultures have their own version of the doppelganger. In these stories, encountering one's double is often associated with death or misfortune. In Italian folklore, especially in the region of Sardinia, there's a belief in the combiar, or combiador, a shape-shifting spirit that takes on the appearance of a person and can mimic their actions. The doppelganger is often considered a harbinger of bad luck or a malevolent omen. Encountering one's own doppelganger is thought to be an ill omen, suggesting that death or misfortune is imminent. It's a belief that seeing one's double could indicate the person's time on earth is coming to an end. It's believed that the appearance of a doppelganger is a supernatural warning. In some stories, the doppelganger is not a physical being, but a spectral or ghostly double that only the person encountering it can see. The doppelganger is sometimes portrayed as an evil twin, seeking to harm or replace the original person. Interactions with a doppelganger are typically eerie and unsettling. 
The devil may behave in ways contrary to the person it mimics, leading to confusion and fear. Some variations suggest that the doppelganger has the ability to shapeshift, taking on the appearance of others, or even transforming into animals. Now don't get the doppelganger confused with bilocation, which is a whole different phenomenon altogether. Bilocation is the psychic ability to project an image of yourself in a second location. This body double is known as a wraith, which is identical to the other person and therefore indistinguishable from the real person. This wraith can interact with others the same as the real person can. There's been more than one reported case of doppelgangers throughout history, more than I could fit in this one episode. So let's take a look at a few of the creepiest true doppelganger stories. Catherine the Great, the formidable empress of Russia during the 18th century, was renowned for her strength and authority, unperturbed by trivial matters. She faced a chilling encounter with her own ghostly doppelganger that underscored her fearless demeanor. Legend has it that one night, while Catherine lay in her bed, anxious servants rushed to inform her that they had just witnessed her spectral counterpart entering the throne room. Undeterred, Catherine decided to investigate the unsettling phenomenon herself. To her astonishment, upon reaching the throne room, she discovered her doppelganger serenely seated on the imperial throne. Reacting swiftly, Catherine commanded her sentries to open fire on the ghostly apparition. The details of whether the bullets had any impact on the spectral empress remain shrouded in mystery. However, what is known is that Catherine's own demise followed soon after this eerie incident, leaving an air of enigma surrounding the connection between the encounter with her doppelganger and her subsequent death. Percy Shelley, a brilliant poet in his own right, is often overshadowed by his connection to Mary Shelley, the famed author of Frankenstein. Surprisingly, it was Percy, not Mary, who had encounters with doppelgangers, revealing a side of the poet not commonly associated with horror. In the period leading up to Percy's tragic drowning in a sailing accident in 1812, he confided in Mary about multiple encounters with his own doppelganger. Among these eerie experiences was an especially haunting incident on a terrace. Percy recounted walking onto the terrace only to be confronted by his doppelganger, which posed a disquieting question. How long do you mean to be content? Interestingly, Percy's spectral double was not confined to his personal experiences. Mary's close friend, Jane Williams, also reported witnessing the doppelganger. She observed it passing her window, a longer route frequently taken by the real Percy, but the apparition never returned, reaching a dead end. This peculiar phenomenon occurred when the real Percy was nowhere in the vicinity, adding an extra layer of mystery to the poet's encounters with his spectral counterpart. Queen Elizabeth I, the last Tudor monarch of England, reigning from 1558 to 1603, is widely acknowledged for her charismatic and astute role. Despite her reputation as a level-headed and savvy leader, her claim of witnessing a doppelganger adds an eerie dimension to her legacy. In a surprising turn of events, Queen Elizabeth asserted that she had encountered her own spectral double. According to her account, the apparition of Elizabeth lay motionless on her bed, resembling a lifeless body prepared for presentation a site traditionally associated with impending death. 
The Queen's experience was very chilling due to the belief that such appearances were ominous signs foretelling death. While one might be inclined to dismiss this as a momentary lapse in the mind of an elderly and stressed ruler, the unsettling twist lies in the fact that Elizabeth passed away shortly after encountering her doppelganger. The timing of her death lends an air of the supernatural to the Queen's claim, leaving a sense of mystery. Abraham Lincoln, known as Honest Abe, openly expressed his interest in the paranormal, especially in private conversations. Lincoln claimed to have experienced a paranormal event on the night of his first election. While resting on his couch, he looked in a mirror and saw two faces, his own and a pale ghostly doppelganger right next to him. Startled, the spectral figure disappeared when he rose from the couch, but reappeared when he sat back down. Lincoln repeated the experiment, managing to glimpse the doppelganger one more time before it ceased to appear. His wife Mary was terrified, interpreting it as a sign that he would be re-elected for a second term, but wouldn't survive it due to the deathly appearance of the second Lincoln. The eerie occurrences added a supernatural layer to Lincoln's life, and some believe the doppelganger delivered a foreboding message, given Lincoln's unfortunate fate during his second term. Emily Sagi never saw her doppelganger, even though everyone around her did. Sagi, an excellent teacher, had an unusually high job turnover, changing positions 19 times in 16 years. The reason behind this pattern became apparent in 1845, when strange doppelganger activity was linked to her. During a class, 13 students witnessed Sagi's spectral twins standing beside her, mimicking her actions. The doppelganger extended its appearances, even sitting calmly in the teacher's chair while Sagi worked in the garden. Despite Sagi's obliviousness to the apparition, she experienced unusual grogginess when it manifested. The doppelganger seemed to carry out actions, reflecting Sagi's thoughts. As the spectral presence became a regular occurrence, it unnerved people, leading concerned parents to withdraw their children from the school. While Sagi excelled in her role on all non-paranormal fronts, the headmistress had to take action due to the unsettling circumstances. Both Sagi and her ghostly double were let go, marking the end of their tenure at the exclusive girls' school. The doppelganger concept has been widely used in literature, art, and popular culture, often as a source of horror and mystery. It taps into the fear of the unknown and the uncanny, as encountering an exact replica of oneself raises questions about identity, fate, and the supernatural. In the quiet moments of reflection, or the fleeting glimpses in dimly lit spaces, one cannot help but wonder if perhaps a spectral companion mirrors our every move, silently waiting in the shadows of our world or the next. After I told Ella about my morning, she told me about my supposed earlier visit. I wondered if she thought I was going crazy. I was starting to wonder myself. I was getting Anna cleaned up after breakfast when the doorbell rang. I thought it was odd to have company that early, but when I saw you on the security camera, I was excited. I didn't hesitate to open the door. But you were acting so strangely. When I went to open the door, you had turned and were walking away. I tried yelling for you, 
but you just kept going like you didn't hear me. Are you sure you don't remember coming over? She asked, with concern creasing her brow. Ella, there's no way. I was at home until half an hour ago, and during that time until now, I was at the park with Jack. I insisted. I don't know who I was trying to convince more, her or myself. I feel like a terrible friend. I should have called and checked on you. But Anna started crying. She hasn't been feeling good, so I got distracted. But there has to be some reasonable explanation. Whoever was at my door looked just like you, right down to what you're wearing. Now I could tell by the look on her face that she was starting to doubt herself. We sat there in silence for a moment, trying to come up with some idea of what might be going on. When my phone began to buzz in my pocket, I forgot that I had silenced it when I was trying to write earlier. It was the security service that I had subscribed to a few months back. The operator on the line said that someone had tried to get into my house with the wrong passcode. Could I confirm that it was me? My mouth was agape as I started to come unraveled. No, it wasn't me. I almost yelled into the phone. Keep calm, Miss Gladwell. We will call 911 and have an officer sent to your house right away. The voice on the line answered. Calm? How was I supposed to keep calm? I was being stalked by my doppelganger. Sounds crazy, I know. But that's what it felt like. And that is what was happening. I was afraid to go home. But when I got the call from the security company saying it was all clear, I wanted nothing more than to get home, lock my doors, draw my curtains, and pour myself a glass of bourbon. Why don't you stay here? You can hang out with me and Anna for the rest of the afternoon and spend the night, Ella offered. Thanks. I just want to go home, though. Maybe I need to get some sleep. I can't remember the last time I slept for more than a few hours. I left with Jack trotting beside me, seemingly oblivious to my stress. When I got home, everything seemed normal and untouched. I poured myself that glass of bourbon and tossed it back before pouring another. The heat that began to radiate through my body was immediately relaxing. I no longer cared if I had a look-alike out there somewhere, wandering the streets, or if I was just going crazy. I laid down on my bed, fully clothed and passed out with Jack curled up at my feet. I don't know how long I lay there, but it was completely dark outside when I woke up. I could feel a cold spot where Jack had moved from his place against my legs. Wondering where he was at, I rolled over looking to see if he had went to his bed. But he wasn't there. That's when I heard him growling. The hairs on the back of my neck stood on end, and my heart began that all-too-familiar pounding in my chest. As quietly as I possibly could, I rolled out of bed and crept to the door, listening to see if I could determine where he was. From where I was at, he sounded like he was in the living room. I listened to see if I could hear anything else. Movement. The shuffling of feet. Something to insinuate that someone was in the house. But other than Jack's growling, all was silent. I grabbed my cell phone off the dresser and was going to dial 911. But my phone was dead. I had forgotten to charge it again. I cursed myself, but not out loud, as I looked around the room for something to use as a weapon. Nothing. How could I live alone and not have one object in my room to defend myself? Probably because I lived in a nice neighborhood, and this wasn't supposed to be happening to me. 
My mind was going a million miles a second trying to figure out what to do. My bedroom window was too high up to climb out. I cursed myself again for buying a two-story house. I could try to make it to the kitchen, which was in front of the living room. But what if I was wrong about where the growling was coming from? I would have to search the other two rooms upstairs as quietly as possible. Maybe there was something in one of those rooms I could use as a weapon. I wasn't sure what else to do next. So I slid along the wall down the hallway until I reached my office, which was originally a bedroom. Luckily, I had left the door open so I was able to enter quietly. I looked through my desk, but only ink pens and pencils could remotely be weapons, but may only do enough damage to piss an intruder off. I turned to the closet and opened the door slowly. One of them began to creak, and I froze, listening for any sound from below. Nothing. Even Jack had gone silent. I managed to get the door open and peer into the dark closet. Great, I thought. Even if there was something in here, it would be impossible to find. I ran my hand over boxes, growing more on edge every second, half expecting someone to come up behind me while my back was turned. I was about to give up when my hand touched something plastic. It was a small rubber tote. My heart skipped a beat when I realized what I was touching. My dad had passed away two years ago, and inside that tote was all I had left of him, his handmade knife collection. I had forgotten all about it. I slid the tote out and laid it on the carpeted floor and peeled the lid back. I couldn't see anything. I would have to feel around in a box that held a dozen sharp knives. I wish I hadn't waited to buy that knife display case, but it was too late to worry about that now. I stuck my hand inside as carefully as possible, and the first thing I felt was leather. It was a knife case, and inside that case was a very special knife. My dad had asked me to choose a knife of any kind that I wanted, and he would make it for me. I had chosen the Bowie knife. I had always loved to watch old westerns with my dad, and the Alamo was my favorite. I felt somewhat calmer with the heavy knife in my hand as I made my way to the stairs. I thanked God again that I had bought a house with carpet. I was as quiet as a mouse as I made my way down. At the bottom, I quietly slipped into the kitchen first, where it was dark and thankfully empty. As I turned to head to the living room, I saw the light from one of my lamps as it came on. Jack was smart, but he couldn't turn on lights. I rounded the corner, and for a moment, I thought about trying to make it to the back door. But then, Jack began to growl and bark again. I continued into the living room, and wasn't surprised to see someone sitting on my couch. Someone that looked exactly like me. Jack, who had been curled up next to the stranger, ran at me, growling in his threatening way. What are you doing, Jack? It's me! I cried, confusion overwhelming my thoughts. As Jack continued to growl and bark, my look-alike stood and ran towards the kitchen. This person had invaded my home, turned my dog against me, and had ruined my entire day. I was going to make them pay, so I followed. In the kitchen, I came face to face with myself. The other me had retrieved a butcher knife from the knife block on the counter. We stood there facing off until Jack latched onto my ankle. I kicked at him, 
slinging him across the kitchen. He bounced off the cabinets with a thud and whimpered before coming at me again. That was the final straw. Rage filled me, and with the knife raised, I lunged at the figure and swung the knife repeatedly. I could feel cuts forming on my chest and arms, and just assumed they were coming from her knife. In the end, only one of us would be victorious. I don't know what happened. I woke up in the hospital, covered in cuts and stab wounds, 32 in total. When the detectives questioned me, I told them everything. The two men in gray suits looked at each other, and I could read that look. She's crazy. That's exactly what they were thinking. They never found a body or any sign of an intruder. Only me, my bloody knife, and Jack. After that night, I quit trying to tell them how I stabbed myself 32 times. I mean, I was lucky to be alive. I didn't care if anyone believed me or not. But hey, I survived. Well, one of us did. Thank you for listening to Freaky Folklore, the podcast about mankind's horrifying legends and myths. Don't forget to follow Freaky Folklore on Spotify and iTunes. If you can, leave the show an honest review on iTunes to help us grow. Freaky Folklore is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network, the home for listeners who love to feel scared. Go to EerieCast.com to find other terrifying podcasts, such as Destination Terror, hosted by me, Carmen Carrion. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to carmencarrion at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram. Until next time, stay safe out there, because this world is a strange one. <laughs>